0: I'm Joseph Scholls. Welcome to the Deep Culture Podcast, where we dig into the science and the psychology of culture and mind. Hello, Yvonne. How are you doing today?
1: Hi, Joseph. I'm doing fine. How are you?
0: Good. I understand uh, in the Netherlands, the pandemic is getting worse.
1: It has been getting worse over the last, well, months. Um, but actually, we're in partial lockdown again. So as many surrounding countries in Europe.
0: Yeah, I heard that Italy was in a very strict lockdown. Uh, and the United States is over 100,000 infections a day, which is really horrible. Uh, of course, I'm in Japan, where we're holding steady at about 500 per day. Uh, so this thing just goes on and on and on, doesn't
1: it? Yeah. And I feel that people get Uh, They are losing their perspective. When is this going to be over? And people are thinking about Christmas and being alone in their homes because in the homes you cannot invite more than two people anymore. Um, So kind of loneliness during the winter comes over the country, the psychology of the nation.
0: Yeah, we need to find ways to connect and to stay connected. We do. So in today's episode, we're going to be talking about culture from the brain-mind perspective. What does that mean?
1: (laughs) Yeah, what does it mean? Well, (laughs) culture, you know, it's not about customs only. Um, It's not about do's and don'ts. It's a very deep part, actually, of who we are. And uh, it shapes us in how we think. uh, And even the structure of the brain is influenced by culture. And Sometimes this is also called deep culture.
0: Yeah, and Yvonne, you and I always get excited about the science that is helping us understand this cultural side of the of the mind uh, and the brain. So we're going to share our excitement a little bit today.
1: Yeah, and it's for anybody who's living and working in a foreign country, growing up between uh, cultural worlds and... Uh, you know, but do you need to learn about it? And if you're working as an intercultural trainer or teaching intercultural communication, you should definitely learn about the brain mind sciences. So, why should interculturalists learn about brain and mind sciences?
0: the reason to learn about culture, brain, and mind is not to become more knowledgeable. It's to become more insightful. And the difference between knowledge and insight is at the core of this approach to intercultural understanding. Knowledge is remembering facts or manipulating concepts. Insight is a form of pattern recognition. It's seeing connections that other people don't see or seeing connections that you didn't see before. So to help others gain intercultural understanding, we have to do more than give knowledge, facts, rules, concepts. We need to help other people recognize patterns and make connections that they weren't making before. And that's not an easy task. But one way to go about it is to focus on what's going on in the mind of someone who is having an intercultural experience. And the sciences of brain, mind, and culture can help us understand the architecture of the mind, that this can help us make sense of intercultural experiences in a new way. So making sense of things in a new way, that's, that's insight.
1: When we are talking about traveling or living in a foreign country, what do you mean by insight? Well,
0: you know this expression, the aha moment, this feeling of like, ah, I got it. I mean, that's that's insight. Like, I remember when I had been in Japan about two years, I had trouble understanding this particular word called nakama. I heard a group of people talking and one of them said, uh, oh nakama ni which means put me in the nakama. And I asked someone, well, what does nakama mean? And this person said, well, mm, that's difficult. It's kind of like friend. But I knew a different word for friend. And so anyway, I looked it up in the dictionary. And so this is the dictionary definition. If you look up in a Japanese English dictionary, this is the definition of nakama. I'm just reading from a dictionary now. Company, fellow, Colleague, associate, comrade, mate, group, circle of friends, partner. (laughs) That's okay. Those are are the translations for the word nakama. And if you, and there are two characters, two uh, Japanese characters that make up this word, naka and ma. And if you look up naka, it means it'll say go between or relationship so the same character that means go between also means relationship and then the ma nakama this ma literally translates as interval or space <laughs> yeah. so nakama is what a, a go between interval it's a relationship space what is it so i was i just had no idea from looking at this dictionary definition what what the feeling of this word is but I remember after having lived in Japan for about two years, I was at a party with a group of students that I had been teaching who really got along very well. And we were at a party together and there was this great atmosphere of trust and openness and everybody was talking to each other, different ages. And I, I had this flash of ah, this Feeling is nakama. This feeling that I'm that I'm experiencing now is nakama. You know, I come from a very individualist uh, society where everyone's concerned about being me. You know, uh, but Japan is a place where the feeling of togetherness is really important. And I don't know whether the people at that party would have agreed with me that that was that's precisely what nakama was. But this feeling of insidership of being on the inside of this of this group was I had this aha moment. And, you know, so when we're in a foreign country or we have foreign experiences, I think a lot of people have these aha moments. Does everybody have aha moments, do you think?
1: Oh, and I like your story. I love it, actually. <laughs> and especially this moment of a flash. And I think many people have that. Although... Maybe not everybody sees this as, as a flash that is meaningful or deeply meaningful, or but sometimes they can recall it back even years later. And, you know, one memory I have is thinking back of the time I lived in the inner city of The Hague and having these, these neighbors with Moroccan background, Turkish backgrounds, and especially with the ladies. We had great connections, but it was only in the moment that I left that house. It was a rental house at the time. And that they approached me differently and and that was an interesting to notice myself as well, like what's happening here and what they a- actually asked me a favor if their children about to be married uh, could have my house. So it was very personal and I was like, at that moment I sensed this felt of, sense of, but this is like, You know, there's this corporation, this housing corporation that deals with these kind of issues. It's not me. Um, So I felt my inner task orientation, although I still felt very much connected to them uh, as as my dear neighbors. But of course, you can know cognitively about relationship orientation and task orientation. And at the time, I felt my own task orientation in this sense. (laughs)
0: and i think those aha moments are the most powerful ones when we we recognize something in ourselves that we didn't recognize before because of we're experiencing a new normal something that's normal for us is not normal in this situation or vice versa
1: exactly talking about these stories and and, and storytelling uh but how can we mingle this or combine this also with science and what can the two um, learn from each other or even enforce each other?
0: Yeah, so it's easy to tell these stories, but, you know, today we're talking about science. So how can science help us understand these aha moments or these things that are going on in our minds?
1: Well, let's start first with the empirical foundation of our work. And actually there's a huge amount of literature out there. When I visited Tokyo, I entered Joseph's office and I saw these enormous bookshelves with all those titles and and just look at it, you know, it's amazing um, how many fields and these are also overlapping fields inform our work. And Joseph, could you shed a light on all these in the terminology actually that's being used
0: yes so there are a number of overlapping fields when we're talking about brain mind and culture sciences Um, and they include cultural neuroscience cognitive neuroscience cultural psychology cognitive psychology social psychology neurolinguistics and there are no clear clear separation between these, between these different fields, but they are all contributing insights that I think are very useful for interculturalists. And I will be quite direct. I spent a number of years in the field of intercultural communication feeling like there was nothing new like there were no new approaches and, and very little new theory. And what I started to discover was that the interesting work was being done in other fields. And there was fascinating work. And once I started looking into that, I did. the more I looked, the more I found. So some of the things that I found uh, were these different areas, which were helping us to answer a number of basic questions.
1: So one of these basic questions is, how are our brains shaped by culture and vice versa? How is culture shaping our brains, if so? And uh, maybe Joseph, you can explain a bit about this question.
0: Well, you know, some people have the idea that we all have the same biology, therefore everywhere in the world, everyone's brains is gonna be the same. It's not that simple. Uh, Our brain and our cognitive processes are shaped by the environment, and understanding the interrelation between nature and nurture and how the cognitive how cognition develops is one of the areas of of neuroscience and cultural neuroscience.
1: Yeah. And then another main question is, how does our unconscious mind work? And many of you might be familiar with the work of Nobel Prize winner uh, scholar Daniel Kahneman. And then his book has this excellent title, Thinking Fast and Slow. And that means a lot, doesn't it, Joseph?
0: Yes. You know, we're familiar with the iceberg metaphor that culture is largely unconscious. But what is the structure of the unconscious mind is there's an enormous amount of new research in this area. And Daniel Kahneman was applying that to economics. And what we're doing is applying that to intercultural questions, Uh, particularly uh, here uh, dual process theories of mind, looking at the differences between more conscious and unconscious forms of cognition.
1: and talking about cognition and unconscious cognition. Um, how does culture influence our perception and cognition? There's also a relation between culture and cognition. And some of you might know the work of, of Richard Nisbett. for instance, The Geography of Thought. I was very much struck by his work. Uh, and it already starts with the title How Asians and Westerners Think Differently and Why, especially, especially those last two words. Um because there's much to say about uh, cognition. And,
0: and Richard Nisbet was studying unconscious cognition, and he had the question, well, is unconscious cognition the same everywhere in the world? And that was area of research which uh, created this landmark book. If you're going to start somewhere with this, this may be a good place to start, the geography of thought. Um, and this was a kind of paradigm shift, that started to help us look at cultural difference in a new way and gave us new methodologies for for learning about cultural difference
1: we will be talking also a bit about embodiments and embodiment of culture and minds uh, there's also there's a lot of work done on embodiment but can you say a bit about it joseph
0: we think of thinking and feeling as being separate but in terms of cognitive processes and the body, they're not separate. Thought is embodied. It's, it's part of the whole organism. And so we're learning to better understand the relationship between these different parts of the mind. As interculturalists, we know that culture is more than simply an idea. It is something that's deeply embodied in us and in the way that we see the world and the way that we think and the way that we react to the world. So this is an important area of research that we can draw on.
1: And then we of course express ourselves in language and many of us are using second language today. And how does language relate to cognition and culture. That's also a huge field. Very interesting. Joseph recently published himself as well on the interrelationships between those fields.
0: One of the really exciting areas of research is represented in this by the work of Benjamin Bergman. He published the book Louder Than Words. And the main takeaway is that language is much more than a symbolic system. That when we use language, we're actually creating an embodied simulation of experience. And this is a whole new area of research, trying to understand how language works at the level of cognitive systems. And lots of questions that have not been answered, but lots of really exciting research in this area.
1: And just continue with the next question which is about well how networked are we and actually how are we collectively networked with other people we are not alone in this world you know we're, we're so human beings and social beings
0: yes our brains evolved in the context of community And there's a whole area of neuroscience which seeks to understand this collective element of cognitive function and the evolution of the brain.
1: And many of you are working in the field as an educator, a trainer, working with students or participants in, well, whatever context. So, learning is another area where there's a lot of interesting work going on and the brain of course is interesting how does how how do we learn and and what is makes learning impactful and how do we learn about culture
0: so there is a, a whole new area of research uh, educational neuroscience which tries to understand the embodied cognitive processes of learning uh, this has also being applied to intercultural experiences. Uh, My book, The Intercultural Mind, was looking at the relationship between cultural learning and cognition. What are the effects of us on our mind and our cognition?
1: And last but not least, (laughs) bias. And it's one of my favorites, I must say. Um, What are our biases and blind spots?
0: One of the most fascinating takeaways with this area of research is that the word bias doesn't really isn't really suited. Bias makes it sound as though there's something wrong. In fact, bias is simply a product of the way that our brain is structured. It's structured for efficiency, for making quick decisions, for being good enough to survive. And once we understand more about the cognitive structure of bias, it we can see that it's natural. It doesn't mean it's good, but it's natural. And there's a tremendous amount of research that's really directly related to the kind of work that intercultural educators and trainers are doing.
1: Well, this science sounds really interesting but i can imagine people also saying well i'm just traveling staying abroad for a very short period of time or just studying abroad do i really need this
0: well no <laughs> but okay. if you're interested <laughs> right i mean no of course not you can you can go to a resort and lie on the beach all day in a foreign country and that's fine if that's what you want to do but i mean you and i yvonne we We both agree that we have foreign experiences, not just in foreign countries. Anytime we have a foreign experience, it's a chance to go deeper into ourselves, to figure out what happens when we encounter the unknown. Uh, That foreign experiences are about discovering things within ourselves.
1: Yeah. And for me, it's also lifelong learning, and learning about others is learning about yourself, and vice versa.
0: Well, I think on that note, Yvonne, it's about time for us to wrap up this episode. So if you like this episode, let us know. Please subscribe to the Deep Culture Podcast, rate us, write a review on Apple Podcasts. We'd love to hear from you. You can reach us at dcpodcast at japanintercultural.org or leave a comment on our website, www.japanintercultural.org. This podcast is sponsored by the Japan Intercultural Institute, an NPO dedicated to intercultural education and research. Our master sound engineer and interculturalist extraordinaire is Robinson Fritz. Chris Koyama is our production assistant and our remarkable jazz singer. Thanks to both of you. Take care, Yvonne, and I look forward to seeing you next time.
1: Well, look forward to see you next time, too. And thanks, everybody, for listening to this podcast.